Hi, and welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 180 years old and is the literary center of, of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 75,000 books available to members. We are located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at www.mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Joining us today in the reading room on the 12th story of the Mercantile Building are Deborah Ginocchio, attorney and part owner of Opio. Hi. Also with us today, Grace Dobush, freelance writer and co-starter of... Coast of the Crafty Supermarket. The Crafty Supermarket. Yes. Thank you for joining us. And I am John Faraday. I am the director of the Mercantile Library. And I went out of order, so we are going to also <laughs> say hello to Elisa Brandt, contributing editor of Cincinnati Magazine. Hi. We're talking about a really a book that I found really engaging. Uh, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by Carrie Brownstein. I'll start off by saying I loved it and think it's like the working definition of a memoir. I devoured it in the course of like 24 hours over Thanksgiving. I, that was my Thanksgiving feast, actually. I, I couldn't agree more. Deborah? I loved it. And, um, and I was saying before, I'm not even sure why I wanted to be part of the podcast because I didn't know anything about Carrie Brownstein. I think I liked the title of the book, and I thought that's just really intriguing. And I just wanted I wanted to read about it. And you know, it's just not my typical read. I, I loved it though. So, were you familiar with Portlandia, the sketch show at IFC that she does with Fred Armisen? I I was familiar with it. I had not watched it until mm -hmm. yesterday. I went to Netflix and watched it, and it's very funny. I I was familiar with. Her appearance and of her vaguely, but I didn't. That she does so many things, mm -hmm. I hadn't quite connected all the dots with her. Right, mm -hmm. and for the uh, listeners, she's one cornerstone of the epic Riot girl group Slater Kinney, and lately she's reinvented herself as a comedian, basically performing in this amazing sketch show that makes fun of hipster stuff in Portland. Right. So I guess I'm the outlier because I did not love the book. I have kind of mixed feelings about the book. And uh, I think I, I love the Carrie Brownstein that I have come to know on Portlandia. I was already familiar with her from the band and familiar with, with the band's music. Um, but I think what I missed in the book was that kind of goofy, playful side of her and it could be, as we were discussing earlier, it could be because I listened to the audio book and it was read by Carrie Brownstein. And uh, I think she had like a very serious tone to her delivery. And there were times when I almost felt like she was delivering a paper about her life in Slater Kinney. And maybe it wasn't as emotional. And I'm, so I'm really curious to hear for the, you guys who read it in print if you got that at all or if it was. Well, I mean, it's a very serious book. Mm -hmm. It's not a funny. I mean, there are parts that are funny, but it's not a, a fun book, per se. It's no, right. I, it's really real. I thought it was really sad. I thought her writing, I, I, thought, I thought she was, you know, she's the type of person you almost want to get mad at because she's apparently good at everything she does. Um, 
but it's parts of it were just so sad that like her youth and coming up and finding herself and and the way she can the way she can find the words to express incredibly complex thoughts um really astounded me at some points i thought she was i thought she was brilliant in her writing yeah, I agree. I was I was very pleasantly surprised by the quality of her writing. I don't know. That sounds maybe a little bit snobby, but like I I wasn't expecting the writing to be as good as it was, and I thought that her self, the re the reflection that she she had within the book. I mean, uh, it it was a really I thought it was a really naked. Um, just like laying her soul bare, like obviously like many creative people, she deals with depression and a lot of complicated feelings and she's, am she's amazing at everything she does. She is an yeah. amazing person, but that doesn't keep you from hating yourself. You know, and, and I, right. I found that really, um, like it made her so much more of a real person to me. Yeah. One of the things I actually really loved about the book was her casting me back to a different time. Um, like hearing that, Someone like Carrie Brownstein also went to see Madonna's Like a Virgin concert, um, as, as did I, waited in line for tickets at RFK Stadium. It just made me feel like a little bit connected to her, and she made some other sort of pop cultural references at the beginning of the book, like spending the summers with her friends, reading V.C. Andrews books, and I remember those books ripping through my high school. Um, so stuff like that. I think she's a little bit younger than I am, but I felt like she touched on a lot of these um, cultural markers that cast me back to to that time. And I think her writing is, is great. I almost think it's, I guess I was feeling it was almost a little too studied and it could have been the way she read it. Um, but maybe I just wanted her to be more open because she's so clearly a good writer. I wanted her to go a little bit. I felt like she went up to a subject and then withdrew a little bit. Like, like her mother, I felt that's a pretty major thing to discover your mother has anorexia. And then I just felt like suddenly the mother, just, she left the family and she didn't pursue that. Like there was no further investigation there. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I, what I loved about her was she had sort of a pretty um, ordinary, or she, that's not the right word. She didn't have a fancy childhood. I mean, she just kind of crafted it and cobbled it together herself. Right. Her parents didn't seem to be overly engaged with her as parents today are <laughs> faulted. Helicoptering. <laughs> for doing. Um, and she just kind of blazed her own trail. Um, the fact that she came out to be as successful as she is, to me, is just like, I, I'm just not envious of her. I'm just kind of proud of her. <laughs> yeah, um, that's great. Especially the time where she's talking about she'd be with her friends, and because her mother was anorexic, it kind of gave her this passport to sit in the front seat, and she would be the confidant of her girlfriend's mothers. If they had issues with health or decorating or makeup, they would confide in her. And so she kind of straddled these two worlds mm -hmm. between her girlfriend's and this adult world. And I think it gave her a perspective unlike other girls her age. And I think it kind of made her a little, um, not precocious so much, but um, just sort of 
unusual and kind of a little yeah. separate. Gave her a little, little mm-hmm. removed. Yeah, it gave her a little separate. And I think you see that among like gifted children a lot, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't necessarily identify with their peers as much as they do adults. I, I, f- I was feeling a lot of that from her. Did anyone read? Um, this reminded me a lot, actually, with the with the parents' lives. Um, taking up so much of her own life. Has anyone read Fun Home by Alison Bechtel? Because I'm kind of reminded mm-hmm. of it. From no. I did not. This no. amazing graphic novel about Alison Bechtel. It's an autobiography in which her, um, her father, she discovers after he dies that her father was gay. And it's just this whole... And they grew up in a funeral home, which is why it's called Fun Home. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I recommend reading that. After you've re- since you've read this, I feel like it's a nice companion piece to it. Oh, yeah. She says in the book a number of times that she was really looking for family, I think maybe because her parents seemed so um, removed from her. And I guess that's just the way it was back, back then. I don't remember my parents being you know, involved in every single... Thing yeah. I did with my friends but at they that were, age, but yeah. she, they were, they were just present. detached. They were right, they were just like an extraordinary. Well, they level. had their own right. secrets. Right. Mother yeah. had the secret yeah. anorexia. The father probably was closeted. I mean, and he didn't. She Up wasn't aware point, of yeah. it, and um, that he was gay. And so they all sort of had their own pods that they lived in the same house, but. Separately, right. mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. And she said they were terrible. They were observers of life. That they would, yeah. that they didn't love each other. They would like observe. I thought that was incredibly poignant when she was at her. I think she was at her grandparents in Tucson, and her father-in-law was speaking to her grandfather was speaking to her father about her mother, saying things like, "Well, does she eat? Yeah. What, will she eat this? Will she eat that?" And like, like everyone is just observing, but no one's really connecting. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that's what it seemed. I'm no expert. It seemed like that's what she wanted music for, mm-hmm. or that community. And then, like, I wrote, I'm not a big just what, like, I wrote wow on this. She was. She had this really funny interaction with a, a band called Seven Year Bitch, in which she was wildly underqualified for a really important band at the time. Um, and then, and then she wrote a. They, they said, "No, you're a kid. You're not very good." And then later, she became accomplished. And the the woman in Seven Year Bitch, Elizabeth, um, didn't recognize her anymore. And she she wrote. Elizabeth didn't recognize me as the girl who had gone over to her house that day or written her an overly earnest tell-all letter. I was relieved that music had done exactly what I had always wanted it to do, which was turn me into someone else. I, 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 was, I was floored by that. I, you know, that's what she was... It's like music for her. Mm-hmm. And also acting. I mean, I feel like uh, she's... From the book, you can tell she's a natural actress, and I think partly because she was wanting to create these worlds in which she was engaged and ways to get people to pay attention to her for mm-hmm. once. And I find it interesting that it's only been in the past few years, like since she hit her 40s, I think, that she's become like a very well-established actress now. Um, because it was, it's, so, it's so similar to that um, performance aspect of music. Well, I love the yeah. part where she talks about when she's... She might have been 10 or 12. And she... <laughs> does these how to host a murder party. Right. <laughs> murder parties. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I, sw- I mean, I could relate to that because I think when I was younger, I love, I'm cons- probably two generations older than she is. Um, I mean, I would, I would have loved to do this. If only she had the guts to actually carry it through and not just kind of 
be timid about it. I mean, she made her friends dress up in costume, and since guys wouldn't do it, half of them had to dress in drag. And then she had, you know, she polished the silver and had the, you know, the, the cocktails, and everything was appropriate to the the atmosphere of the murder. I just really admired her thoroughness, and she, this mm -hmm. was what she was going to do. And I think, as we were just saying, I think part of that is because the family didn't fill her whole life, and so she kind of filled it in yeah. herself. I feel like that, all, like what John was saying about the observational tendencies of her family, I, I feel like that filtered into her writing. And there were there were times when I felt like she was sort of reporting on her life and it wasn't maybe as emotional as I wanted to get from her uh, on certain topics like her mother or I don't know if anyone else felt this way when she's talking about her initial relationship, her romantic relationship with Corin Tucker, her bandmate. I felt like there was a moment when she said we were, we were together then as a couple and the next thing I knew, Carrie's breaking up with her and I don't know if I just spaced out and you know the book was going and I forgot to go back and find out what the details were but I, I felt like there were some gaps like that that maybe were purposeful on her part because pretty much everyone she's writing about is still alive right. um, and, and she's also a very private person yeah. I mean I, I I'm a fan of her work in general so I was kind of aware of that but I guess it didn't really surprise me that much that you know she she glosses over parts that are still like too private to share. I mean, she already shares so much. Yeah, it kind of brings up an interesting question about the nature and the timeliness of of memoirs. I mean, memoirs have become I feel like such big literary business. Everybody's writing them not necessarily about their whole lives, but about this part of their life. And like, I wondered what you guys think about a memoir written by someone so young that the other players are still very much a part of her life and maybe there's a sense of, I don't want to offend this person, I don't want to say something wrong, um, whereas in another memoir, maybe if everyone else you're talking about is gone, it's easy to lay I it all out. I sort of thought, because I felt too, there were kind of things left unspoken or holes there, like the breakup. I mean, we knew from one point to the next that they had broken up and I think it's, I sort of, as I think about it now, put it down to she just doesn't have that much distance to really sort of reflect maybe completely as to what did happen there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, at my age now, I'm sort of thinking back and thinking, I'm still realizing things yeah. that happened when I was younger and getting a different, more complete perspective on right. it. And I think maybe it's just that she hasn't had the distance, the distance or the time mm -hmm. to sort of I mean it's been 20 see years those, see those almost pictures, those since pieces they broke all up. together. <laughs> I mean, she's not, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, um, I mean, she's just not that young. I mean, she's in her 40s. I mean, it, there are people who sell memoirs well, now who are like 21 or something, you <laughs> know? True. Like, like she's I got more all, life than most people. Yeah. Who's a guy what are you saying about people in their 40s, Grace? <laughs> I'm saying that she's had like, she's not, okay. I, 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 I feel like I'm digging myself into a hole now. <laughs> well, I'm 50, so you're fine. Yeah. Dig away. But I will say, I... Another memoir that I recently read that, again, I hadn't really intended to read it, but was sitting there and I was, uh, you know, out of town for the weekend. It was there and not being read. And it was Hold Still, Sally Mann's memoir, which also is just tremendous. And sh there are no holes in hers. Like, it's mm -hmm. a very complete picture. It's, it's actually like a much longer book. Um, Who is that? Sally Mann, the photographer. She sort of, she, she had this controversial because she took all these pictures of her children. And oh, they lived, yes. they mm -hmm. lived isolated 
out in the country and on a farm in Virginia, and this was just kind of the way they they were unclothed a lot, and so the pictures had children without clothing, and it was very controversial um, among in certain quarters. And um, but she's an incredible writer, but she she would do a lot of journaling, so this was something that was she just kind of continued with, um, but. Yeah, I remember. There, it's a much more complete, fluid picture. Mm -hmm. um, a memoir that I had read a while ago that I really did like was by Patti Smith, Just Kids. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody mm -hmm. else read that. Yeah. And I, I, I thought she, too, was a beautiful writer. But I felt somehow her, and again, maybe it was just she has the more of the distance. She was more open about all her relationship with Robert Mapplethorpe and some of the other more painful things in her life that I, I guess I felt like Brownstein still kept a little bit to herself, and you know maybe in twenty years she'll write another one. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I did. I I, I don't want to be the negative Nelly about the book. Um, and I, I one thing actually that I did really like about it was her discussion of being on tour. That's where I felt like she really, for me, did the best job of getting her emotional life into remembering sleeping on a disgusting mattress and schlepping equipment in and out and mm -hmm. especially the early gigs where she didn't know what do I ask for in my monitor I don't know right, right. I've never done oh, this before and I love I love the anecdote where they're playing Oberlin College I grew up just south of Oberlin College <laughs> and they like play this show there and Jack White from the White Stripes is with them <laughs> and they just play this concert some guy invites them to the house party so they're like oh well sure like we don't have anything to do so they walk over to yeah. this house party i could picture it you know this little you know crappy student like um duplex somewhere near campus and they get there like oh so and so told you to come here yeah the party's yeah. actually full who are you so and they like leave it's so hilarious like i hope i really hope that the people who were in that party have read this book right. or heard about yes. that somehow because it's so amazing but like speaking of like laying emotions bare like the part that really struck with me the most was um, the point where she just gets so fed up with touring and with the being on the road and she ends up like hitting herself mm -hmm. in the face. Like that was so powerful to me. Like, yeah, how unhappy she must have been. Yeah. How uncomfortable. The part that I like, there's another party scene too. And this, this phrase, it just sort of, sprung out at me. I thought, oh, that is so funny, but it's so perfect. And it was kind of slightly incongruous from the rest of the stuff she was talking about, because it was more, I don't know, sort of out of the sort of milieu. But she had gone to this party. I think they were in Paris, maybe. And um, she got invited to this after party. And she couldn't, I mean, she just she wasn't connecting with anybody. And she was tired. And, um, and I felt, and it's funny, because I, you know, you can. I wasn't at Oberlin, but the idea of relating to parties there. So, like for me, the generation is when she's talking about. She couldn't couldn't even figure out what to do with her face, and she's trying to get out of the party. <laughs> I love this. In the end, all I could manage was the kind of shoulder dance moms do when they make shrimp scampi in the kitchen while drinking white wine and listening to Bruce Hornsby. I shimmied right out of the room, exited the apartment, took a taxi back to the hotel. I thought, now that, then she was speaking to me, and I was like embarrassed. Like, was she peeking in the kitchen window or something? Um, so she, I just... She just seemed to have a grasp of different 
flashes of life that I thought was really remarkable. Mm -hmm. did, did anyone see Slater Kinney when they played at Bogarts back before Christmas? Oh, I wish I had. It was so good. It was so good. It was, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't listen to a lot of Slater Kinney in college. I mean, they were big among my friend group. I had a lot of friends who were into Riot Girl. Um, but I honestly wasn't that familiar with their music, but I just loved the cult of them a lot. And going to see them live, they're really electric. I mean, Carrie Brownstein is just as good of a guitar player as she is a writer, which is really damn good. And um, it was just magnificent. And, and side note, um, I had thought about getting dinner by Bogarts before going to the concert. I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to Meatball Kitchen. But none of my friends were going, so I was like, oh, forget it, whatever. I hear from someone who was at Meatball Kitchen before the show that all of Slater Kitty was there eating meatball oh. sandwiches <laughs> before the show oh. and like trying to act like they weren't like really paying attention to what was going on next to them. <laughs> I know. In the category of rock and roll near misses, um, I mean, this is going back, it's dating me, but when uh, my husband and I were first dating, he was working at a at Spin Magazine in, in New York and he would hear about all these new bands coming and we would go to see a lot of shows and he called one night to say, yeah, you know, I've got a couple of tickets to see the show at Maxwell's. Um, they're called Nirvana. Are you interested in going? I mean, we were not, we were not even dating yet. And I said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Never saw them again. <laughs> Never missed the opportunity. So I, when those things happen, it's like, <laughs> they, um, I thought she did a really good job describing a time and place as well here. And it was, I, I was living in Portland when much of this was being written. Um, I'm older than her, so, but it, Portland and Seattle were, were and are really connected, and there was just so much back and forth. It, I thought she with Olympia in the middle, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, which was always like the poor sister. It's so funny to see someone writing about it with this like absolute love for place. Um, but she did a really good job. With it was just kind of a weird time in a weird part of the country. It was like on the front end of Seattle becoming this big, huge city that it is now. But it was still very just like kids walking around in T-shirts with guitars that I thought she did a really great job of chronicling what she was talking about, it would be easier to mention all the people who weren't in a band. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, only it were did. all it my friends in bands, they like were in multiple bands. Such <laughs> like the beginning of something really big, and it was interesting to hear her talk about that. There's, that there was a there. really great exhibit that was at Carnegie Mellon University a couple years ago about uh, the riot girl scene, and it was kind of a visual history with a, a bunch of the zines that were coming out of Olympia in Portland at the time. And I mean, and that's where she like came into herself mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I hope that it like tours or is on display somewhere because it was cool. a really awesome um, chunk of time in the same in the same vein right mm -hmm. I was listening to their album uh, dig me out uh, over the weekend and looking at the I wish I had brought it in with me looking at the photos of them on it I mean it, the, Carrie Brownstein looks like she's about 15 or 12, <laughs> yeah. and it's so hard to reconcile those baby faces with that, you know, that, that style of music. Mm -hmm. I mean, Slater Kinney is loud and electric and, um, you know, kind of squawky, and it's great, but it, you look at those baby-faced kids and think, wow, really? And then also seeing her face and thinking, this is, this is the, who became the woman who wrote 
so, I mean, she writes very eloquently about a lot of her experiences. And so that was interesting too, to suddenly, I feel like I'm in a time machine looking at that photo and hearing her talk and, you know, her reflections. It was interesting. Yeah, because she but talks about it at some point, towards the end, she talks about, um, she loves, she says, I love being a new onlooker, a convert. This is sort of after she's, what Eddie Vedder meant mm -hmm. to her and his mm -hmm. support for them and his um, just kind of help to them, just kind of embracing them. Um, to become a fan of something to open and change is a move of deliberate optimism, curiosity, and enthusiasm. She has, you know, you have this impression that, you know, in this girl band, that because it's so raw and so edgy, and then she can come up with these kind of sweet, optimistic takes on things. It's really kind of keeps you on your toes when you're reading mm -hmm. her. And I continued to admire her more and more as I got through the book. Yeah, especially because I think she's, like, she's a peculiar woman. She, like, like it's like her life, at the beginning at least, like, it was the weirdest, oh, I guess I'm gay story like she was like I wasn't really connected to my body I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't think about things that way which seemed to be either not true which doesn't seem likely or that's a really peculiar person because you know she's getting older now most people have some idea of sexuality or if it's following a, a routine path or a, or a not routine path but she you know she just like it like came to her one day or seemingly. So yeah. I'm no, I not think sure if there was, I think that's pretty common actually. Um, I mean, it's speaking from experience. You, if you are growing up and you are trying to assimilate with a standard way of living, if you're trying to just, you know, be a part of a family that's normal or you, you want to achieve normalcy because she wanted normalcy in so many aspects of her right. life. I can completely, understand like just not being aware like knowing that okay well I don't really like this whole situation but I don't I don't know what else I can do and then one day it is just a light bulb you just realize mm. it that would have made a lot more sense if she had said at some point I don't really like this whole situation it was like there was no there was right. no internal back and forth well, that I, she reveals. That she reveals. <laughs> so either she and wasn't connected point. to it or... That's what I wanted out of that, um, the, the initial scenes where she and Corin Tucker are romantically involved. I think I wanted to see that internal thinking of what emotionally she was connecting to in Corin, and if she was having that realization, like, huh, I'm in love with my bandmate. You know, like, I just wanted more there, like, more, right. more of the emotional connection she had to that, and I think she just chose not to deliver that for whatever reason. But I think that would have I think that would have enhanced a good book and made it a stellar book for me. Yeah. So it, I have <laughs> that was good. I was so I have a question that will re reveal how much I've missed of this. So what what do we make of the title? It's a song title, isn't it? It yeah. is a song title. Okay. It's a mm -hmm. great song. <laughs> <laughs> it's um I believe the name of the song is A Modern Girl, and there's a bunch of things that she, in the in the lyrics, make her a modern girl, and Hunger is one of them. Um, but I specifically did want to go back and listen to that one song mm -hmm. because I didn't know it. Um, and it's lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then they performed it in Cincinnati. Um, 
when they were when they were here. Yeah, and you know, I, and and that's where I made the connection. I because I wasn't super super familiar with their their songs, but I think it it also just shows like she's got an obvious passion for life, and she's created this entire life for herself that mm -hmm. is so admirable like I want to be her when I grow up you know like yeah. I, I want to be as awesome I as wish Carrie I had Broadstein. grown up to be I mean I feel like I sort of <laughs> might have started on the same path as she did you know the little pretend plays in your bedroom and stuff mm -hmm. or putting on an English accent in English class when you were doing Pygmalion <laughs> and the teacher looking at you like what are you doing <laughs> but then you didn't become Carrie Brownstein and right. you went and be, you went you, know, you was she wearing, what? was she still sporting business casual on stage as she discusses? <laughs> Which I love. So stage look. I know, so I, good. I, I love that too. Oh, no, she was wearing kind of modern, cool clothing. Yeah. I, it looked really cool to yeah. me. She kind of dresses that, that way on Portlandia. I mean, she has, definitely. like, she wears a lot of blazers. I mean, she yeah. definitely has, seems to yeah. created her uniform. I love that. For it's, it's norm core before there was norm core. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Before authentic norm core. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else saw the. Um, I don't know if it's still at the Mark Mothersbaugh exhibit at the... It just ended. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was so amazing. And it was just so interesting to see their looks, how specific their onstage, that Devo, mm -hmm. the band Devo, uh, how specific their onstage looks were. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I yeah. thought it was... And in a way, it's a type of armor, right? Yeah. And she talks yes. about that. This is her... It's... it's um, a little bit of dissociation, but I think it's more armor than anything else. Like, yeah. you know, she's play acting... I mean, she's she's really doing it. She's really a guitarist in a great rock band. Yeah. But she's, until she actually gets her confidence up, like, that's her way of being like, this is my day job. Right. <laughs> yeah, wearing some khakis. Right. Shielding herself. <laughs> Was anyone else um, struck by the amount of time she devoted to discussing her pets at the end of the book? I was a little surprised by that. I was surprised by it. I was sort of touched by it. Um, I was surprised by it. I mean, I thought it was kind of sweet. And then, then the end was like really sad. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Kind of Wait, I forget traumatic. how it ends. Well, I think she doesn't, she doesn't, again, we didn't have the spoiler alert, but here's the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> she, she wasn't explicit, except that these, she had two dogs and a cat, two, two dogs and two cats. Yes. And when she would leave, she'd go through these elaborate rituals to make sure they're taken care of and exhausted. Right. All shelter, shelter animals, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. so they're not supposed to attack each other. Well, the dogs, one of the dogs killed oldest cat and oh, it was right. kind of uh, as you can imagine coming home and finding Ugh. this scene. yeah it's it sh and she she wrote about it at least i found oh she wrote about it with such um such emotion like she seemed emotionally so shattered by that in a way that i felt like she didn't express with some of her earlier childhood experiences um you know with with her mother i mean that's just such a profound thing to have your mother leave the family, like, I mean, be ill with anorexia for one, at a time when that was becoming really part of the cultural consciousness in a big way. And then um, the, then to have her leave, and I don't think she talks at all about her sister. Hardly Very not. little. Very little. Like, really little. Sister. But we get a lot about mm -hmm. her pets in her, <laughs> her pets mm -hmm. interact. I almost felt like it was a stand-in for I, I, this is what I'm comfortable talking yeah. about. The sister yeah. must have said to her, I don't want to be in your book. Leave me out. That's Maybe. the only thing that makes sense because it, it, sisters. Right. Mm -hmm. I grew up with three of them. I can't imagine them not playing prominent roles in in each other's memoirs. She remains right. an enigma. You know, I think that was definitely like calculated on her part. Mm -hmm. You know, she wants to maintain some mystery. I mean, 
it, I mean, on, I mean, it, it, it shows how mysterious she was that I was not actually aware that she dated women primarily until I read her book. And I was, I feel like I should know this. Like, how do I not know this? Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, I mean, and of course now, um, she's, she remains very private, but of course, you know, I Google like who is Carrie Brownstein dating now? And she's been like spotted with Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black. And there's, you know, again, mm -hmm. uh, just that she's just leaving a lot to mystery. And I don't think yeah. she really cares whether we want to know the answers. I think that's to her credit in some ways that she's not you know, all over social media, all like you don't know, like you were saying, you, until you read the book, you don't know a lot about these things about her. And I, I think that is kind of cool. I mean, of course, in the book, I wanted more, but out there on the internet, yeah. she can keep it to herself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that, uh, I don't know how, I don't know how celebrities stay sane, honestly, like in an age of such transparency and, and um, TMZ and everything like that. Like, I, like, I have so much respect for this type of, um, measured sharing um and i like i feel like i completely understand it because like if i if i were in her position like no i'm not sharing like any of these things with you people like right. this is mm -hmm. you already get so much of me when i'm on stage like this is me time now yeah. or whatever right. well especially yeah. since she has the control over it it's the book she's writing and it's not being dishonest i think it's she's just being selective selective yeah. mm -hmm. right Curating it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's why I would rather read this book than the man book, um, which which I, is very good. I'm sure yeah. it's terrific, but I like totally my personal taste, book. I prefer this. To I've read where I'm like, okay, I get it. Enough, please. Um, <laughs> over overshare. This like I you know there's something to be said for always wanting a little bit more. In some instances, mm -hmm. I wanted a lot more. In some there were there were some holes left I, I, but i'm going to overlook all of them because her writing is so damn good uh in places um yeah i just felt grateful that she was giving us anything yeah. Kind of like <laughs> yeah she's so busy and she took time out to tell us the right. story right. right i like that she called herself i thought this was kind of like what this book is at one point she referred to herself as an archaeologist um like going through life, just mm -hmm. like examining it, picking it up, putting it putting it down, in many instances, which yeah. I thought um, is, I you know maybe she wishes she were more um, open to something. Maybe she doesn't, but coming out of that family, mm -hmm. which I found to be wildly dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, Oh, you don't know from dysfunction. Yeah. <laughs> but as an artist and a writer, I mean, as, a, as the mother of a, of a nine-year-old girl, I mean, this is a book that I, I would not have a problem handing to my daughter when she was older as a, here's a musician who actually, you know, kept herself in check in a lot of ways and not, I mean, you know, you could read about all kinds of, of musicians and performers who go wildly off the rails and she does seem to have, despite her family dysfunction, just a very strong central core about herself. I mean, she seems to know who she is. And I think that's, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And a great, she's a great role model. For sure. Oh, she's a great role model. I, yeah, I, I agree. So. I mean, she's just, I, I'm with, I'm with Deborah. I'm just so happy for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said you were proud of her. I was proud of her. I yeah. just, <laughs> the, the, towards the end, it was just a, such an odd turn for me. And it's, after the, she's very famous, so the band is renowned, and they end up getting a new producer, and 
they go to Casadega, New York. And they're doing the produce, the music production in Casadega, New York. Casadega, New York is a crossroads. I've been to Casadega, New York. It's like the small town. We go, we stay in a small town, and then we go to this smaller town, and outside of the small town is Casadega. And that's where she was producing this music. I mean, and Casadega is like this, it's mm -hmm. kind of a spiritual center. There's mm -hmm. like a place called Lilydale there, and it's all... And that's where they recorded the woods, right? Right, yeah. and it's crystals right. and tarot card readings. Yeah. But After Pearl Jam. It's just a little teeny tiny crossroads. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, <laughs> how did there you was, end yeah, up there? I mean, there? There's, been, there's a great legacy of rock bands going, like, not going into hiding, but like going kind of doing a hermitage together mm -hmm. so that they can block out all other influences in just You could do it in Casadega. Let's talk. You yeah, can't exactly. not, perhaps. <laughs> you can get good raw milk there. I mean, it's... Really <laughs> <places>. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to start wrapping this up because we try not to make them endless because we're really appreciative for people listening. Um, what are you taking away from this book? Um, what like what's the thing that you are taking, Grace? Oh, I'm first. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I took away from this is similar to what I took away from um, seeing the Mark Mothersbaugh exhibit or seeing the David Bowie exhibit is that you can build the life that you want to have, and any excuses that you might have or excuses that you're making up yourself, and you don't have to listen to them. Alisa, you're up. I guess I take away that I, I found her to be as likable and real as she appears to be um, when I've seen her on TV. And uh, it's nice to know that someone who I admire is getting the kind of fame that seems like reasonable and manageable and deserved. Well, I would sort of, I would echo what Grace said, the fact that she, you don't have to, you know, whatever childhood you have within a certain spectrum, you can pretty much, if you've got you know, any kind of motivation or any kind of energy level, make your own life. And she made this terrific life, at least from the outside. I know she had her heartbreak and pains, but um, she made this incredible life. And for her to tell us about it, um, it's, it's inspiring. Um, you know, you think... You know, at any point in your life, you could pick up and take a new turn. And, and she gives that to you in this book. I'll take that. I like inspiring. <laughs> I agree. And I like that you can make your own life. Um, quickly, any book. I, I never partake in this anymore because I always regret whatever I said. It makes me sound dopey. What are you reading that you're really liking? Or what would you recommend right now? Grace, I'll start with you again. <laughs> I've been reading a number of books by Tom Parada lately, um, which was a recommendation that someone gave me in a previous podcast session. I'm currently reading Little Children, which is blowing my mind, and I read something else from him that I forget the title of, but he's an incredible. I am in the middle of Career of Evil by uh, Robert Galbraith, otherwise known as J.K. Rowling. It's the third in her um, thriller series with Cormoran Strike. And her adult books are as long as her Harry Potter books. <laughs> but, uh, I, I enjoy almost any thriller, so it's a fun read. And I would go back to Hold Still. It's, a, it's just a... 
it's just a tremendous story about this very interesting woman and, and her family. The family history is very interesting and well told. And I have a little correction on a prior podcast. Oh, great. <laughs> about a book I read. <laughs> I refer to it as The Story of Us, which is actually by Leah Stewart at the University of Cincinnati. It's not The Story of Us. It's just Us um, by David Nichols. And it still is a great read, but now that I've put the right title on it. Well, we <laughs> could just change some of the capitalizations in that <laughs> sentence, and you could say you were talking about The Story of us. <laughs> Which is also a very good read. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank, uh, you. thank you for joining us today on The 12th Story. Uh, we encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We are available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. If you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile Lib. L-I-B lib i'm not sure um today's podcast was directed and engineered by well it says chris or said i'm gonna go with chris um like chris messick special thanks to our guest deborah grace alisa and i'm john um our theme music was created by doug mcdiamond um and please join us online because we are going to have a great year this year Everything at the library 2016 is going to be uh, interesting and hopefully challenging. www.mercantilelibrary.com. Have a great week.